Hello, and welcome back to an Interpol's Most Wanted episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we'll be reviewing 2021's Red Notice. We'll be getting into some five-point inspection with International Treasure, Kango and Tash, Location, 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 Commitment Issues, and G.I. Joe. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Okay, dude, we've been in the car for almost an hour, man. I hate when you do this half-tell-me-this-plan bullshit. Like, where are we going? Whoa, whoa, okay. First off, we're in a Porsche, and we still have another whole Ed Shireen album to listen to, and uh, I know you're enjoying that high C. All right, fair enough. I've got some good travel videos for the Instagram, but, but please, where are we going? Well, you remember that customer, Miguel, he owns the, the storage place? Mm-hmm. Well, he had a customer skip town on him. Uh, the dude was renting a unit for like 30 years, and you know the policy. Once they don't pay anything in there, it's fair game. Dude was storing a vintage Silver Arrow Le Mans Mercedes. Uh, he sent me pics. The thing looks mint. Hot damn. Yeah, he said we could borrow it, maybe take some pictures, maybe some videos at the shop. How's that for some content for the gram? Okay, certainly this drive doesn't feel so bad. Nice work, dude. Uh, hey, uh, you were the one that said we should try to get more traction on social media. Come on, Hector Deflector. This is a nice work, man. I give you all the kudos. Well, well thanks, man. I, I figured we can enjoy some of the Rock's new tequila when we get back to celebrate. Uh, quick question, though. Shouldn't we have brought the flatbed? No, man. I was going to let you do the honors and drive it back. Drive it back? How? Uh, I mean, if you can't drive stick, I'll drive it back. You can take the Porsche. You said it's been sitting in storage for 30 fucking years. I, 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 I somehow doubt it's going to start right up. Uh, did, did, did you think that this is Red Notice? Because it's not. But we can review it. An unlikely pair must team up to retrieve three priceless golden eggs once cherished by Cleopatra. Nolan Booth, the world's sometimes greatest art thief, is motivated by the allure of cementing his title as the always greatest art thief, while John Hartley just wants to clear his name after being framed for stealing the first egg. Can the two outwit the bishop, Booth's not-so-mysterious rival, or will they just end up being pawns in a larger scheme to cash in on the trio of eggs? Alrighty, Travis, before we get into our five points, I'd love to get a quick diagnostic from you. What did you think of Red Notice? Uh, I tried to keep my expectations low. Uh, three likable leads. So I tried to lean into that, but I paused the movie at five minutes and 36 seconds. Oh, wow. And I, I made this note. Uh, we're 536 into the movie and the data dump has included the backstory of Cleopatra's eggs, the MacGuffin of this movie, mm -hmm. uh, who The Rock is, and why the hell is an FBI agent in fucking Rome, uh, a joke about The Rock being a profiler of art thieves in particular, because for fuck's sake, I don't think art heist profiler when I think of The Rock, mm -hmm. and we get Booth set up, and we get Bishop set up. 
in five minutes and 36 seconds. There so, is a lot of exposition in the very beginning of this movie. A lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I just missed when movies kind of set stuff up as we went along. But minor quibble. Uh, most of my uh, critique will be in the five points. What about you? Oh, boy. Um, so I tried to do as little research into this movie because obviously it had come out in theaters before it came out on Netflix, which which is what we watched it on. Um, so I really tried to avoid any kind of like, uh, what is it, reviews or anything like that, even just headlines, because a lot of people try and, you know, basically condense their entire review into a, a, a six uh, word headline. Um, but, you know, I had already gotten we, you know, the known that this was not highly reviewed and it was getting some some flack but i kind of wanted to go into it thinking like oh well this is probably going to be like a fast and furious movie like if you go into it thinking it's highbrow entertainment like yeah you're probably going to be disappointed but like i love fast and furious movies i'm just going to go into it knowing what this movie is and i'm like how can i not enjoy like how can i not love this it's the rock ryan reynolds and gal Gadot. so it's just one of those things and then I watched the movie and I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> it's, it is. Eh, they were not the, the, by the few headlines I accidentally read were, were not wrong. Um, so before, like, I'm sure. Uh, one headline I read was uh, generic Hollywood paste. Yeah, I'm sure this is going to be one of those that we kind of shit all over. Um, and I will, I just want a preference before we get into that because um, it, it is low hanging fruit. I didn't think the movie was was terrible. Um, I think it had its shining lights and some. I did laugh out loud a couple moments in, in the movie, and, and I thought, oh, that was that was kind of funny. But overall, I, I I think it was a bad movie. But it, it I think our three our three leads carried it and made it an enjoyable bad movie. But at the end of the day, like if I were to read the script without those three leads, I think this movie falls real flat. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to say it. I does that kind of lead into Kango and Tash? Uh, it certainly can. We'll we'll start with Kango and Tash. So I, I wanted to talk about the interplay between The Rock and Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and do some Kango and Tash. So it is no uh, uh, what is it? Secret that we loved that movie. That's one of the the movies we reviewed. Neither of us had watched it, and like it just blew us away with how bonkers that movie is. And there was definitely at a certain point in this movie where I was like, "Oh my god, I'm getting some real like Kang or uh, <laughs> some real Tango and Cash vibes from this movie." Only it's not Tango and Cash because it's not batshit crazy, right? It's like especially like, i started getting the vibes between the two of them and their egos playing off of each other like at the the bali uh was at home when like you know they're talking and then when they wind up getting sent to the prison i was like oh fuck <laughs> like, i'm getting real tango and cash vibes from this movie now and it never lives up to tango and cash um like we get the, the again the odd couple we get the ego in, in a prison escape scene where they they have to get out you know one of them is trying to clear the name the other one is is trying to you know make a bigger name for themselves only the prison escape isn't really that fun or engaging um it really i i think at the, the you know oh you know big spoilers we go full spoilers into this so if you don't want any spoilers for the movie just stop now uh watch the movie and come back or get ready for it but like, i think the twist at the end of the movie when uh 
we find out that the rock is one of the you know is half of the team bishop and that he was an artist i'm like okay it kind of plays even more into that where this would have been like the the anti-tango and cash where it's two crooks that have an ego that have to outplay each other but we don't get that until the very end um and willie what what that i brought up to he's like in terms of a tango and cash dynamic, I would have much rather have seen the rivalry between Booth and the Bishop, or I, I guess Ryan Reynolds and, and Gal, because at the end of the day, I think their chemistry and they were way more entertaining and engaging than The Rock was. The Rock was a real was real stiff in this movie. Yeah, I, The Rock and Ryan Reynolds play The Rock and Ryan Reynolds. Um, I just think. Ryan Reynolds is just naturally a, a better screen presence. So what you said makes sense. But as much as I wanted to appreciate that twist at the end, this movie does nothing to deserve it or set it up. No, no. And even when they tried to do the flashback where he's realizing, I'm like, none of that was red breadcrumbs. Like, none of that was actually led up to the whole thing. Like, yeah, you can pick out, cherry pick those lines. I'm like, oh, we should have seen it coming. But I'm like, this wasn't like The Sixth Sense. We're like, The Sixth Sense, when you get the twist at the end, you go back and watch the movie. And you're like, holy shit, they did line it up the whole time. That was fucking amazing. Whereas this time, you go back and like, if you were to rewatch this movie, you're like, no, it still didn't set any of that up. Like, none of the situational irony plays out like when he's like oh yeah i had to i had to give her the egg at the beginning at the truck but then to the viewer we watch him have doubt and i'm like that's not how you do that like that's not how that's done in in a movie because you're now convincing me that he is that way and then at the end trying to rip it away and i'm like no you never set it up properly for that for that to be the twist at the end no exactly right and even it's funny that you you point out that scene because later in the movie, Gal Gadot, you know, the bishop electrocutes or, or shocks who we later find out is her lover. She could have faked that part, but the movie's like, no, she actually did electrocute him. <laughs> yeah. So like none of the logic tracks when that, that twist hits at the end. If and so as intriguing as it might be, put some effort into actually setting that up and like you said leaving some breadcrumbs i I honestly the entire thing time thought dos was going to be the the twist at the end that dos was going to wind up being the bishop's partner and then like oh yeah that's why they were able to set him up is because that was part of she's in interpol so she had like the inside track and helped you know the bishop get away all the time and then at the end it's like oh no she really is because like this is this is where it does go a little uh tango and cash for me they're art thieves, and it is just machine guns all over the fucking... Like, you would think that they're stealing nuclear codes the way that Interpol is going after them for stealing a fucking golden egg. And especially, like, my favorite my favorite part of this is when they find the Nazi bunker full of priceless art, and Interpol goes in there and just starts shooting up all this fucking priceless artwork. And I'm like, what are they doing? It's three art thieves that are no... They should... They're not a threat to people. They don't kill anyone. Well... Except for, of course, when, you know, they have a minigun on a helicopter and they're shooting up a prison. But I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, Brett, to me, it was like, well, <laughs> yeah, somehow. And this is my G.I. Joe topic. So I don't know if we're getting into it too early, but nobody dies from that minigun either. <laughs> this movie does a great job of having a thousand bullets fired and not one person get hit. Well, because that's it. <laughs> 
Yeah, we might be transitioning. This might be a soft transition into G.I. Joe. But again, it's one of those things where I'm like, it's batshit that this is the way that Interpol is going after a bunch of art thieves. Like, they're the most wanted. I'm like, they're not terrorists. Like, and the problem is coming off of the Thomas Crown Affair with Dennis Leary's line about, like, I don't give a shit about, like, they, like this, they steal paintings. They steal artwork. Who gives, like, this has such little impact on what's going on in the world. I'm like, I can't help but care. And I'm just like, Interpol seems like they're really going over, over the line here. And again, that's why, again, I was expecting the Interpol twist at the end. I'm like... There is no reason she's got this amount of uh, this amount of excessive force to take down two art thieves in a you know hypothetical like rogue FBI agent or something like that. And I'm like it just it makes no sense. And like, well, hmm? let let me ask you because the movie didn't make it perfectly clear. I think I understand. Is Dwayne Johnson's character an FBI agent at all, or that's no. all just a cover, right? It was all just a cover. How does Interpol get fooled by that? Again, that's where I go back to the whole Sixth Sense thing. If you watch this at face value, sure, it's mindless popcorn, but God forbid you go back and try and rewatch this movie after what, like for a second, because none of it makes any sense once you know, like once you get the twist at the end, because you're like exactly your point, I'm like. How did they full Interpol to the point where like, like, oh, you don't even exist. I'm like, there would have needed to be some amount of credentials or something like they're not going to let you just in on the scene <laughs> like that. Like, oh, he says he's FBI. And like, I guess they try and do like these weird, like throwaway things. Like, oh, yeah, but no, we already established that, you know, the bishop can can intercept calls and make it sound like she's somebody else. And I'm like. This is all just random MacGuffin bullshit. Like, you just, like, you throw it out. It's lazy. Yeah, it's it, exactly. It's lazy. It is extremely, extremely lazy. But to, to your, I, I ha can we get into G.I. Joe, or did you let, have anything no, let's else go, on I, I think this is a good, a good spot with, like, getting into G.I. Joe. Because to your point, like, the, the twist at the end, because the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm just like— he, the rock he's all about like oh my god oh my god i have to clear my name and i'm like dude you tried to shoot guards at a prison like that's even if you cleared your name you've you've probably killed an innocent person at this point and you're going back to prison i'm like and then at the very end when you're like oh actually he's not an fbi agent he's an art thief and i'm like okay that halfway makes sense that he had a blatant disregard but i'm like at the same time he's now not just an art thief he's a murderous asshole like it's like we've kind of compounded what how bad of a character he is yeah, and not only bad in the sense of morality, but if he really had no morals and he was just an art thief, it feels like several times in the movie they still try to play him as the Boy Scout that doesn't want to do the wrong thing. Well, yeah, like at and the again, end. And again, it's just – it's out of convenience for the plot. Right, because, yeah, at the end after they give the three eggs, they then turn the guy in for basically buying. And I'm like, that seems like a terrible idea if, if you're an art thief and that gets out that you give people stolen artwork and then turn them into Interpol. And even then at the end, it's like you've bought like a Nazi treasure. I'm like, how would he have known that that was a Nazi treasure? The only people who knew that that was a Nazi treasure were the three art thieves in Interpol. Like, it's not like that that was known information that that egg was in the possession of Nazis. Like... Yeah, I think that's when I eye rolled the hardest is when they make it where the rock gets Gal Gadot because 
you know, he's just technically the leading man, so they have to be together. But then they pull their punch by having them turn in the billionaire and making it Nazi gold. I'm like, this movie is just <laughs> I, I mean, a lot of people have made the algorithm jokes. The, it, it holds. Yeah. Everything feels like an algorithm. We have to market correct for this and market correct for that. The and that's not filmmaking. Yeah. The moment I rolled my eyes, it was actually towards the end when I was like, okay, I'm I'm kind of over this movie. Is when Ryan Reynolds is describing the Mercedes. And I was like, oh my fucking God. I'm like, okay, I know we know where this is going. I guess we're gonna have a tunnel chase through the fucking mines. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, could they not be more on the nose? Like that's the point and like, and we'll get into it in a minute with commitment issues, but like that's the point where I was like, okay, for fuck's sake, like what are we doing in this movie? Like he's going on like, oh, it's bulletproof and it's it's steel, it's a tank on wheels. And I'm like, okay, so clearly we're gonna somehow have like how did we get it down here? Oh, it's the abandoned gold mines. Like, <laughs> oh my god. I'm like, for fuck's sake, like <laughs> And as we were talking in the opening, it's a good thing that the uh, eighty year old Mercedes started right up and the uh, pursuit vehicle started right up and the 80 year old grenade was able to blow a hole in the mine shaft wall just one grenade too like i'm sure it used a lot of dynamite to seal it but one grenade like i'm like did they put a bunch of dynamite like embedded in the wall that they seal I'm like this makes no sense again how this happened yeah they you're right. Once they get into the Nazi bunker, I'm like, there's no chance that this movie can redeem itself by the end. Honestly, once they brought up Nazis, that's when the movie pretty much like that's when it jumped the shark. Like, wait, where the fuck did Nazis come from? And I even thought about I had that in my notes. I'm like, where did Nazis come? Like, how did we get Nazis in this movie about an art heist? Well, my thought was when you spend all your money on your three lead actors you can't afford to cast a good villain. So let's bring in the Nazis because everybody hates the Nazis. Oh, absolutely. Did you have more about GI Joe? Yeah. I, going back earlier in the movie, the, the scene where the rock is pursuing Ryan Reynolds at the museum. Mm -hmm. um, if you go back and watch that, which I assume you're not, but if you reflect on it, Every time Ryan Reynolds, like the scaffolding chase thing, mm -hmm. they go out of their way to show that Ryan Reynolds has not hurt or killed anybody. Even though they're falling off scaffoldings, they land in some sort of, you know, cargo net. Mm -hmm. Or if the scaffolding collapse, it's going to show people rolling away. Yep. I, I couldn't believe how much effort this movie put into, hey, it's violent, but it's not really violent. Everybody's fine. You know, there's a million gunshots in this movie, but nobody gets hit. It's okay. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't understand, and this is not just this movie, but it's a lot of movies. Why introduce firearms to this level if there's not going to be consequences for using them? If nobody is going to get hit the whole movie. Right, and I'll say this. like This isn't even something I was going to bring up in commitment issues, but it does go back to the commitment. Like This movie, I feel like, originally... This movie doesn't know if it wants to be the art thief movie where all of your your you know they're bad guys but they're good bad guys type thing because they don't kill people or if it wants to be like a James Bond espionage type thing where it's like oh no the, you know it's a bad guy has the the codes to the nuclear missiles or something like that because I'm like 
to your point, like it does not jive well. Like to me, the art thief movie is like, it's all about like the setup and the heist and getting away, like almost like an oceans 11 type situation, like that kind of thievery kind of thing. And it wants to do that. But at the same time, it wants to be super action oriented, which is more so that like crazy espionage spy thing. And I'm like in, they just, they don't marry well together. It's like at a certain point you have to pick a lane because it doesn't make sense. I mean, even, fucking indiana jones which i assume has a lot of you know you, oh, we you have, assume because we have he whistles to, the fucking theme yes he whistles the theme like that even indiana jones kills the fucking nazis like we know that it's an adventure movie and even though there's that level of archaeology and, and like yes it's even because that's fun because that that does do a great job of marrying the two because it's this art like archaeology he has to get an ancient artifact but that ancient artifact is a doomsday device you know the ark of the covenant which you know ultimately winds up turning all of the nazis into skeletons but like they marry the two because it makes sense like there's there's actual stakes you know for finding all of the artifacts as opposed to the stakes is who's gonna get the three million billion dollars or whatever the fuck it was like it just and that's the other problem with this movie. There's no stakes in the movie whatsoever. And that that goes to your G.I. Joe moment. The way that's when I realized in the prison that the entire movie is perfectly scripted situations for them to get out of. Like everything happens exactly the way it needs for the protagonists to get out of any situation. And when you do something like that, there's no stakes in the movie and it's less engaging. I don't care who wins or loses because I already know how this is going to be written in the end, you know? Agree, and I'm glad you brought up the prison escape scene because, to your point, and I think this might transition to commitment issues, but my G.I. Joe logic that this movie has is only once abandoned, and it's in the prison escape scene because they blow up a fucking a washer or dryer, and one of the convicts gets blown into a concrete pillar— which would clearly kill him. And then The Rock puts a guy in like a giant (laughs) iron. Do you know know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah, and it was a guard too, was it? Oh, again, they have a shootout with the guards at that point. Like, if you wanted to make that scene make sense, make it a prison riot. And then it's like, oh, you have to beat the other prisoners to the helicopter. And then the audience doesn't feel as bad because you're killing, we've already established that they're murderers and all that, like, and terrible people. I'm like, oh, I don't feel bad if you're shooting other convicts who are trying to beat you to the helicopter. As opposed to, no, you're trying to shoot all of the the guards, you know? Yeah, and not only just shoot them, The Rock puts him in, like, an iron and, like, burns him alive. (laughs) And I'm like, what happened to the movie where Ryan Reynolds can't hurt anybody? <laughs> like somebody's falling off a 30-foot scaffolding, but, you know, hey, it's, thank God there was this air mattress this, down here. Travis, I can understand, but re- remember, like th- at this point, I think The Rock has told us he's the bad guy at least three times. You just, you didn't get it, see? But now if you go back and you watch it, it'll make sense because, you know, I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. You don't know what I'm capable of. I'm the bad guy. <laughs> the bad guy that you know what that's fair that the script writing was above my head i I just couldn't quite get it it's like no see guys i i left breadcrumbs for him being the bag i'm like no you didn't those weren't breadcrumbs (laughs) that's not what that was so commitment issues so commitment issues to me this movie and especially towards the final act and I don't know if it's just 
because it's Ryan Reynolds and he was probably going off the cuff. And who knows? Like, I bet most of the writing that I enjoyed in this movie was actually probably Ryan Reynolds off the cuff. But um, it seemed like the movie really wanted to be very meta and self-aware and almost to the point where, like, I think it could have been really interesting because you could have almost flipped the whole, you know, heist you know, art thief genre on its head and actually done something if you wanted to be much more self-aware. And it, it makes me think of like one of my favorite examples of this. Like, I don't know if you've seen it, but 22 Jump Street. I absolutely love 22 Jump Street because of how meta it winds up becoming. Like, hell yes. I fucking love 22 Jump Street. Like the whole scene with the meat cute. And it's like, you got meat, you got your meat, my Q-tip. And like, and then like they just, it slowly just continues to continue that or condense that conversation down to where they basically say meat cute. And I'm like, 22 Jump Street is, is an absolutely fantastic movie for the, again, the meta referencing of itself. And like, at some point, I thought that that's where this movie was trying to do and just never really committed to doing it. So it was kind of half in, half out of trying to kind of like, to the point where it's like, it's a heist movie, but we're never going to, like, we're going to uh, completely skip over the heist setup that you see in a heist movie. Like, when, when they're in the masquerade, and I'm like, how the fuck is Ryan Reynolds? How did he become part of the the wait staff? Like, we never establish how he does that. Or, like, where they got the suits or anything. It's just like a, oh, well, I've got a guy who's got an airplane who helps me out. And I'm like, but we, like, how did you know all of this stuff to the computer setup? Like, who gave you that information? Like, again, it's like, it's a heist movie without a heist setup. And I'm like, okay, that could have kind of been fun if that's what you're trying to do is show like how irrelevant the heist setup is in a heist movie but again we don't we don't commit to it we don't actually do that right yeah i thought when we introduced the character on the plane with the fucking high c juice boxes i was like okay this is going to be the answer to those kind of questions that's the only scene he's in it's just like hey we have to shoot a, a plane a private plane taking off. So, you know, here's Ryan Reynolds' friend. And then it never comes back. And, and yeah, bringing up 22 Jump Street, you, you made me hate the movie even more because I honestly didn't think of 22 Jump Street or 21 Jump Street. But that's the vibe you should be going for with this movie. But like you said, they're trying to make it Ocean's Eleven, The Born Identity, 21 Jump Street. Again, you say commitment issues. I say algorithm. They're just trying to hit as many hot button topics as you can to draw in streams. Well, and to your point, algorithmic hot button, all that. I mean, this is, we talk about this all the time with, with you watch a movie. One of the, the biggest sins it can do is remind you of a movie that did it better. And this movie is just, it is littered with those situations. Like, you know, to blatantly reference Raiders of the Lost Ark, I'm like, all it does is remind me like, oh shit, yeah, this, Raiders did this way better. Um, Like, we have to assume Tango and Cash with the, you know, the odd couple egos in the prison. I'm like, oh, I just want to go watch the prison escape scene with Tango and Cash. Um, Even the very beginning with the parkour scene of him giving away, all it made me think of was Casino Royale. I'm like, man, that was a way better, like, parkour scene. You know, the the rock twist, to me, it reminded me, I don't know if you've seen Get Smart, but that's a movie where the rock is the really the bad guy at the end. He's a good guy who winds up being a bad guy. I'm like, that to me was a much better portrayal of the rock seemed like he somehow got stuck in. He knew 
hey, I'm a bad guy pretending to be a good guy. So he was acting like a bad guy act, trying to act like a good guy. And at the end, I'm like, I just thought The Rock's performance did not get good for me until he actually was just openly the bad guy. And then I'm like, oh, okay, he's actually, this is actually, like, I'm enjoying his performance now because he's just allowed to be the bad guy. I'm like, why do that? Agreed. That's only, what, 15 minutes? Yeah, and I'm like, okay, now I understand why the rest of his performance is so fucking weird. It's because he, in his mind, is trying to act like a bad guy being a good guy. And I'm like, just just act like a good guy. Like, we don't need that as the audience because now it's just awkward. Because, again, the minute he opens up and the twist is revealed, his acting completely changes in that movie. And I'm like, oh, now he's he's kind of the charismatic rock that i love to watch on screen like he completely opens him up um and i'm like that's how he should have been the entire movie and he might have he might have paired better with ryan reynolds and i might not have thought the whole time like oh i just want ryan reynolds and, and gal Gadot the whole time because i think they did a better job but like all of that and like even ryan reynolds being ryan reynolds is better like it's basically he like i've seen better movies where ryan reynolds is just being ryan reynolds so the whole time is like it doesn't it doesn't commit to just being a hodgepodge of other things, but it also doesn't commit to trying to be something completely new. And like, again, the movie, it just, it falls so flat because of that. Yeah. I I think the, the big sin of this movie is you just have the rock playing off of Ryan Reynolds the whole time. Ryan Reynolds character arc basically is like, I want to make the rock my friend. Like, if you could just have them meet more as equals, they're both a little bit shady. I I would have much preferred that movie instead of this just constant, like, hey, you're a good guy. You're a bad guy. Yeah. You know, we, we, we can't be friends. Oh, and the, and the fucking, oh, we're more alike than you think. I'm so fucking over the more we're more alike than you think. And then they really go in heavy into it. Like, oh, actually, no, we're... Oh, like we're both crooks because of our dads and like the daddy issue thing was really weird and then like they just randomly threw in the bishop having dad issues too but like none of that comes to fruition or like they are able to like bond over that more it's just like they just kind of mention it and i'm like this is so fucking weird why we even decided to bring the dad thing into it yeah, I love how The Rock's motivation when you think he's an FBI agent is because of his crook dad. But then we easily can twist that into, well, my dad was a crook, actually, but I just decided to be a better crook. Mm-hmm. That's It's just so fucking lazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, I just, I guess, it's, and again, I will, I will go back and say, like, as much as I'm complaining about this movie, because I think it is just, it's almost like generic like wash like it's just not great hollywood paste yeah i did have enjoyable scenes like i legitimately like when he gets in the sports car at the beginning of the movie and then goes to peel out and immediately gets hit i'm like i had high hopes for the movie i'm like okay if this is the tone we're taking with this and again it goes to that commitment issue like oh that was going to be the chase and like they immediately do it i'm like oh we're disregarding how this would this movie would have normally happened and i'm like oh i'm i'm enjoying this like this is going to be a fun ride and then you know 
The next scene is Ryan Reynolds coming up on the boat, and like the boat's name is like, what was it, Rose? We're gonna make it or something like that. And I'm like, okay, we're getting, we're getting some like, there's gonna be some clever stuff in the background of stuff that I'm gonna have to read and pay attention to. Like this is great, and then even the the interaction be between you know, I know that you stole the painting, and he goes, how do you know that? And then they look over and the painting's hanging on the wall. I'm like, I I, yes. I gave a chuckle. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm in on this. I'm like, I don't understand why people hate this movie so much. I'm like, and then it just goes downhill from there. Like it just completely, I don't know what the fuck happened with this movie but like it never gets back up to that moment like the the only other time i can remember laughing out loud in the mo <laughs> the movie is when they're the bullfighting and like and i think it's just one of those i love a long joke where like they're just going on and on about like don't move don't move like i think you're thinking of jurassic park no 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 i'm not and then like it just keeps going on I'm like no 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 it's not that i'm like and then finally, like, was gold gold jeff goldblum and i'm like oh fuck i was reading i was watching jurassic park i'm like okay like it's that long con joke and it made me laugh and then he gets hit by the bull and honestly it's not him getting hit by the bull that made me laugh it was ryan reynolds like oh you're right that was Jurassic Park and I'm like oh I again I loved that interaction where like they're just continuing to argue until finally Ryan Reynolds realizes that he's wrong but I'm like that made me like there are those shining examples of okay it's there is some humor in this movie but like it is it is so weird how quickly this movie lost its way after that after he gets caught you know yeah and I I think the movie relies on Ryan Reynolds doing his Van Wilder slash Deadpool routine, mm -hmm. which works a lot for me. I mean, he's he's got some good lines in this movie. Uh, one that I wrote down was uh, toilet vodka enthusiasts. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then also when The Rock is talking about how the situation is going to end with Gal Gadot. And he literally says, you know, no need to be disgusting. You know, it's some sexual innuendo. Mm -hmm. Like Reynolds was funny, but you have – look at it like an NFL quarterback. In the right situation, you have him throw 25 passes a game. This movie asked Ryan Reynolds to throw 70 fucking jokes. And I, I can't remember the review – but you mentioned in the past a junk food buffet. Mm -hmm. That's what this feels like, especially with the lines. I'm like, they're funny, but like, I don't need a line every minute and a half because it's just fatiguing. And by the end of the movie, I'm like, when Ryan Reynolds is, is handcuffed to a tree and we get the sixth twist where how he figures out how to find them and set up for a sequel. I'm like, just please roll credits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I uh, I think it was the m <laughs> we haven't even we haven't even talked about the the weirdest performance in this whole movie and I don't even know if this fits into it because uh, I was about to transition into international uh, treasure but I'm gonna mention this first before I do but like um, Soto Vo Voce what the fuck was that about <laughs> like all I could think was like. Was he trying to do a Voldemort impression? Like, was was he trying to be Ray Fiennes? Like, I that whole thing was like, I couldn't pin down. Is he supposed to be like of Latin descent? I thought he would like. I didn't. I could not figure out what was going on with that character. What they were doing with him, even at the end, where like he basically gets knocked out twice and again does the whole like wakes up exacerbated and then like 
they end it there hard cut and then we don't bring him back up again i'm like i assume maybe he'll be the main villain for the sequel now or something if god forbid this gets a sequel um maybe dead notice but uh i just again i thought i could not get past how weird and awkward that that whole character was i'm like i do not understand the direction he got to play this character or what is going on here my explanation is when you spend like 70% of your budget on the three lead actors, you then cast this guy to play the crazy villain. Like, I feel like if this movie were made 20 years ago and some care was put into it, Gary Oldman plays this role, right? Can you afford Gary Oldman? No, that's my point. Oh, okay. That's my yeah, point. no, they yeah. They spent Gary... so much money on the three mm-hmm. leads, they couldn't afford Gary Oldman. So let's just get a guy and give him some tattoos, and he can wear a glove, and he can choke people. I mean, here's here's yeah, the, the the villain was terrible. Here's the funny thing: is I am I am honestly with how they use the character about oh he's a short alpha male blah blah blah. I am fucking stunned. And I assume it was only because of budget that they that Dwayne Peter the Rock John, no Dwayne the Rock Johnson did not get Kevin Hart to play that role, knowing how like <laughs> oh, their God. bromance. Like I am again stunned that it wasn't one of those like hey, and I can only imagine it's like if the character had been used less and only was on this like screen for like five minutes, they would have. But he has too much of a, a role, so I'm like that's. And I honestly think Kevin Hart would have been a more engaging, like crazy alpha male little short character. And again. The Rock and Kevin Hart have a great chemistry, so it would have been fun to watch them rib off of each other instead of <laughs> The Rock trying to keep up with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I... Again, that's why I... When you spend all your money on three actors, because all of the supporting characters in this movie... I mean, there's a great lack of them, but <laughs> everybody underwhelms mm-hmm. because we have to spend God knows how much on our three leads. Well, as we've talked about budget, I'm going to go ahead and, and transition us into International Treasure. And when I, as I watched this, by the time I got to the end of this movie and I realized, I mean, we, we had our three, our three tentpole actors and all that. But when you look at the movie as a whole, how it was written and all that, and then you combine that with what I think is just a shitty generic score. I didn't think the score is very good. What my conclusion was is that this movie felt like a bootleg national treasure. Like, you know, when Snakes on a Plane came out, you got Snakes on a Train, where like everyone tries to cash in on on like a, a popular property and it's just it's usually like you get the the worst script possible because it's dirt cheap and you just throw a bunch of like shitty actors and actresses into it because you're just trying to get something out there quickly to maybe can like somebody will, will rent it because they're confused or something like that or watch it because they're confused and to me that's what this movie is without the three you know uh main actors because, again, at the end of the day, if you don't have The Rock, if you don't have Ryan Reynolds, and you don't have Gal, you know, to, to carry this movie, this movie's terrible. It, it just, on a, on a, like, objective basis, it is a shit movie. The only thing that keeps it going is that you do have three very charismatic actors that are able to carry 
the weight of this. And to that point, I'm like, I don't understand why they signed on to do it. Uh, their accountant can tell you why. <laughs> uh, but I, no, I 100% agree. I have not seen National Treasure or its sequel. Um, but I do agree with you. This is an exercise in star power because I do... Well, I will say any of the enjoyment I get out of the movie is purely on the performance, uh, probably specifically Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. I just, when watching it, I'm like, I would love to see these two actors in a real movie. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to say it other than that. This doesn't feel like a real movie. Uh, we kind of touched on before recording the product placement in this movie. This movie feels like, it's purely commercial. Uh, I even read somewhere, maybe this was a money laundering scheme. I would believe all of that way before I would believe that this was a cinematic vision. I mean, the director of this was the director of Dodgeball, for Christ's sake. Uh, my concern with this movie after watching not just the Terramana tequila placement, but also the aviation gin placement is it's this going to be an ongoing trend with Hollywood where you get these big actors are realizing that they need to diversify their portfolio. And a lot of them are getting into, you know, celebrity liquor and stuff like that, but I'm sure they'll do more stuff. But is this going to be a thing where like all of a sudden it is where like, you know, there was always the fear like with internet type stuff, like, Oh, if the internet providers also own the cable and the websites and all that, all of a sudden everything kind of becomes this muddied mess and they control everything. And I'm like, is that where we're headed with Hollywood where it's like, Oh, yeah, we're going to sign The Rock, but he also has in his clause that, you know, he has to have a scene drinking his tequila so that he becomes a commercial. And even, like, I still want to see Free Guy, but from what I've heard, Free Guy also has a, like, just shameless aviation gin plug for, that's Ryan Reynolds' gin. And, like, what I thought was interesting is I assume somewhere in the contract they were not allowed to show the label of other liquor because Terramana gets its label shown, but Aviation Gin, you only saw the bottle, which it has a very iconic bottle. Like, so like you interesting. I was wondering about that because I didn't. I, oh, I could tell they made it a point to show the gin, but oh, it, I was like, yeah. why no label? That is a, and I assume it has to be something where, with whenever they started doing contracts, it was like Terramana, and maybe it's before Ryan Reynolds was brought in or whatever it was. Like Terramana gets its label shown. In aviation does and I don't know if that's maybe it's two different distilleries own them and like you know there's again it has to be a contractual thing but like they definitely got aviation gin in there like I know for a fact that that was aviation gin that that's what Ryan Reynolds drinks but I'm like again it's like I thought we were past the the you know error of just awful product placement but I'm like oh if this is going to be a new thing with every actor and actress has their you know their brand of something that has to be shown in their movies so that they can continue to push their their diversified portfolio I'm like I'm not looking for like I did not think we could have a more brazen product placement than Pepsi One and the Thomas Crown Affair and I was fucking wrong because <laughs> we got two we got two in Red Notice I mean you say two but I mean, as I mentioned in the open, we've got High C, we've got Instagram, we've True. got Etsy, yeah. we've got Mercedes, we've got Apple, we've got Ed Shireen. Product placement is all over this motherfucker. Well, it had to make its money somewhere, right? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I wouldn't so, be surprised if you told me that Ryan Reynolds, like, 
advertising firm was the one who did all all the promotion our promotional company was the one who did all the promotion well, I mean, it's it. the rocks production company oh yeah i noticed that too <laughs> i was like yep. holy shit like good lord could this be more yeah, incestuous I, I, I will say the number of production companies in in the opening credits yeah ridiculous is always a warning sign and this one had three yep uh, can yeah. we talk about location? Yeah, I think that'll... If we, let's do the location, that'll wrap us up in our five points. Do you think that Gal Gadot, Ryan Reynolds, or The Rock ever set foot in any place other than, like, Atlanta, Georgia, where this was primarily filmed? I don't know. Because, um, yeah, there's some awkward green screen situations some yeah there's a lot i i think the two i noticed the most were when they fell off of the roof of the museum um and they're hanging on and i'm like oh that's a bad green screen and also when they're on the train the train was pretty bad where it's like they're clearly not on a moving train <laughs> so uh the train and then okay what about the boat in the last scene uh, what about when they wash up on the beach with the egg? All of that feels like a set to me. Oh, the egg was definitely a set. Yeah, that was 100%. And honestly, it, them walking through the jungle was probably a set, yes! too. Yes! I was like, this looks like 1987's Predator, but even worse, because at least Predator, you know, <laughs> shot in the back lot of Hollywood and had some palm trees imported. This is just... Plastic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, you're inside a studio, I can tell. And I don't have the eye for it and the expertise to speak about it, but some of the lighting on those scenes, I was like, that's clearly a green screen behind you, and this clearly is a light that you're trying to make look like the natural sunlight, but it looks awful. I I am trying to figure out how much of that would be due to COVID, and I'm not sure because, again, green screen's been around forever, and how much of that is, again, when we talk about budget, like, I know this is the, I think, the most Netflix has ever paid for a movie, but I believe it was, it was originally Universal was going to distribute this, so you would still think that there was some money behind it, so I don't know, again, you talk about a Ponzi scheme, or, you know, not a Ponzi, but, like, I'm like, wasn't it, like, does... Does The Rock know somebody who does special effects? So The Rock got them to do the special effects for this movie because his name's on the production company. I'm like, it is, again, more and more of that, like, where did the money go? Because it's not besides your three, you know, actors. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the money is not in the action. The money is not in the CGI. The money is not in the script. Yeah, I assume so you got a two for I one guess deal. Ryan with that. Reynolds, Gal Gadot, and The Rock made like twenty five million a piece on this. <laughs> is the only thing I can think. Wonder if you can find those stats to see how much they got paid. I mean, I would love to know. I just for a movie that's supposed to be globe trotting, and we have all these pop ups of you know we're in Egypt, you know we're in Rome, we're in Bali. I never felt like I was in any of those locations. Well, I guess that you know that it's not they, – they probably didn't do any globetrotting because it's always one scene. Like when they're in Egypt, it was just at the wedding. Like there's no – nothing more than that. Like 
when they're in Rome, everything took place just right outside that building. Like, there's no going through the city or anything like that. You know, the the <laughs> the fucking prison on top of a mountain where eagles dare, like, clearly CGI. <laughs> like, all of that is just, yeah, to your point, like, none of it was was real locations. And again, yeah, I don't I just, know how much of that... As I was watching that. the movie, I just thought about... Again, it's supposed to be a globetrotting movie, and I couldn't believe how many scenes were just taking place in what is clearly a soundstage. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, well, if uh, if that's all you got on location, location, you want to jump into some chop shop? Let's do it. So this week I got family friendly, which if I'm completely honest, I, I struggled with it first and I think I found a stride. Um, you got Oscar bait, I think. I did. <laughs> which if I'm, if I'm honest, Travis, going into the movie, I thought, oh man, you got the better of the two. Leaving the movie, I thought I got the better of the two. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens here. Who do you want to go first? Uh, let me go ahead and take it. All right. Uh, so I got Oscar bait. Uh, so I've removed much of the comedic element of this movie because I, I don't know many comedies that have won the Oscar. Uh, the Rock's still going to be an FBI agent, and and I'm going to use the actor names because, frankly, I don't give a shit about this movie. Uh, so the rock's an FBI agent. Uh, he's still pursuing Ryan Reynolds. Uh, he's constantly working though. He's constantly pursuing the person that he's after. Uh, and I guess I should pause to say my influences here are Michael Mann's heat. Uh, another Netflix original film, triple frontier. Have you seen that, Brett? I have not. I'm not. I'm. I've. You know. I'm very intimate with Heat, but I've not seen Final Frontier. Yeah, Triple Frontier is uh, Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, I believe Garrett Hedlund. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so because he's working so much, and all he's dedicated to is pursuing the latest criminal, which in this case is Ryan Reynolds, his marriage is in jeopardy. His wife is going to be Gal Gadot. Wait, that's a weird uh, twist. They met while uh, he was stationed in Israel uh, as a soldier. And she was uh, an Israeli uh, military whatever. Pick your position. Which apparently Gal Gadot actually did serve in the Israeli military. Mm-hmm. Um, so they fall in love while they're kind of stationed together, and he convinces her to move to America, um, which she does, but she misses home. 
And because her husband is always out working, always out pursuing these criminals, you know, she's lonely. And the marriage is falling apart. And she kind of suspects that maybe he's cheating. So kind of in the opening of the movie, we're going to have flashbacks of their time in Israel to kind of give you a little bit of the action that a that an Oscar bait movie might need. Uh, but in the present time, she's going to leave him. And that causes The Rock to even obsess more and more about pursuing Ryan Reynolds. Uh, which is going to lead us to the museum scene. Uh, <laughs> we didn't talk about it in our review, but the scene where he pours Coca-Cola over the egg. <laughs> good thing he was right. Otherwise, he looks like a fucking moron. Wouldn't you mm. agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so he's going to be chasing Ryan Reynolds there. And uh, he's, again, he's broken up about his marriage dissolving. He's going to be chasing Reynolds, and he's going to fire his gun. And in a ricochet, it's going to hit a museum employee. And the employee is, is critically injured. Does not die though, uh, but of course that means that he's he's going to be fired from the FBI and he's going to be arrested, and now he's a disgraced former FBI agent who's got to go through trial, etc. He goes to prison. Oh, okay. Uh, and like in this movie, Ryan Reynolds is there because while at the museum he didn't steal the egg. You know, that's one of the reasons The Rock is disgraced, because he thought he was there to steal it. He didn't ultimately have the product on him. But they still arrested Ryan Reynolds due to previous crimes. So they're both in prison together. And uh, the one other movie I didn't mention as an inspiration is going to be The Shawshank Redemption. Okay. So in my Oscar bait, we're going to spend a majority of the movie in prison with these two characters. And the only motif that I liked in Red Notice, and I wouldn't even say motif, it's just fake character motivation. But it was a line when they were talking about in, in prison. I can't remember which character says it, but they say it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what they think you've done. Mm hmm. So the Rock's wife left him because she thought he was cheating. And uh, this motif's going to come up in like a, a bunk conversation like it does in this movie. Uh, you know, the Rock's going to complain like, hey, you know, it doesn't matter what I was actually doing, which was chasing you. My wife only cares about what she thinks I was doing, which is cheating on her. And that's why she left me. And Reynolds' character is going to be pretty much the same as in uh, Red Notice, except we're going to replace father with older brother. Okay. So I do have a question. Is Ryan Reynolds going to make any comment about how The Rock was cheating on his wife? Like emotionally, he wasn't there because he was more invested in the relationship he had with Ryan Reynolds, and then The Rock has to come to terms with that? Yeah, and I think that's where the heat element comes from. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, and he, Pacino tells De Niro, you know, hey, I'm only as good as the guys I'm chasing. 
yeah, that sort of deal. He he was cheating on his wife, but not with a woman. It's with his job. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. I, I'm glad cool. you brought that up. I've seen heat so many times. It's just shorthand for me at this point. Um, so yeah, we're going to have more bonding. Basically, Reynolds and The Rock are going to actually grow to be friends while they're in prison. And, uh, you know, kind of Reynolds asks him, hey, you know, what are you going to do when you get out? And The Rock kind of tells him, hey, you know, he can't work a desk job. He can't be a nine to five guy. He needs action. Which, I mean, again, to your point, Brett, you know, he's only as good as the the person he's chasing. He needs that chase. He needs that pursuit. And he's like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm I'm, I'm an ex-con. You know, I can't work in law enforcement again. So Reynolds is going to talk to him. Hey, let's get out of here. When we get out of here, maybe we can work together. You can get your action. The Rock's got a sense of justice still, though. So that's why the Nazi treasure kind of works in this, even in my Oscar bait movie. It's like, hey, we can we can take ill-gotten gains that, the, you know, the Nazis stole and we can return them to, you know, where they came from. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, you're not going to be official law enforcement, but you're still doing a good deed while getting your juice, while getting your action. So as time progresses, The Rock reluctantly agrees. We're going to have a prison escape scene. And because this is Oscar bait, I wanted it to be a lot more realistic. I I wanted it to be something like Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood. You know, it's well thought out. It's well planned. Everything's actually explained. Okay. All that being said, I didn't explain it or think it out. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, this is just the high high level notes, okay? We're not getting into the exactly, details here. Exactly. Just imagine the most elaborate planned out prison escape. And they're going to execute it. You know, they're you know, Tango and Cash, maybe they slide down some power lines with their belts because that's scientifically accurate, Brett, as you said. Well, and I, I assume that Ryan Reynolds will still have the reputation of being an escapist. Like he will, yes. So at this point, it's not far fetched that he would know what to be looking for, so that you could kind of escalate and get through that quickly. There you go. Exactly right. So they're going to escape, and there's going to be a getaway car, kind of waiting for them wherever their escape ends up. Do you know who's driving that car? Uh, I mean, we've paid for, so I'm assuming it's got to be Gal. It's actually George Clooney as Danny Son Ocean. of a bitch. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're right, Brad. It's, it, it's Gal Gadot. Just, yeah. We've got money for three actors. So she is going to be the getaway driver. And I think I might have left out my Triple Frontier element, which is going to really hurt the end of this movie. But Triple Frontier, Ben Affleck's complaining that uh, – you know, working in the military, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't pay well. Like, hey, you retire and then you've got nothing to live off of. So that was some stress on their marriage at the beginning of the movie that I should have mentioned. But uh, basically, Gal Gadot was going to kind of be behind this. She only left him because 
she knew that he would kind of react poorly under pressure. You know, the museum scene, he accidentally shoots somebody because of the stress in his marriage, etc. And now the way I would end this movie is now we're setting up for them to take that first job as a trio, which I think Red Notice tries to do. But at this point, I'm like, I don't care. I don't need to see two more hours of this. I feel like there was a way to kind of slow play this, build the characters a little bit more, and then I would be excited about you actually setting up Red Notice because Red Notice doesn't actually get in- introduced other than the opening credits. Mm-hmm. At the very end of the movie, now there's a red notice on all three of them. That, to me, is where the movie should have taken off from. So my Oscar bait is to try to give you a little bit more of a setup before we jump into what is a sequel that that ultimately nobody's going to want. Okay. So my thought, I really like in the direction, is the only part that I'm hung up on is Gal Gadot's character... Basically, I assume she had to kind of orchestrate Ryan Reynolds and like being able to kind of manipulate the rock. So I would think somewhere at the beginning of the movie, there's going to be some some military operation. Maybe it's what ended their military career or where they were retiring or something like that, where we're going to find out that Ryan Reynolds was actually in the military as well. But maybe he was like you know, I don't know if we want to go so far as a three Kings situation where he was like getting gold or something like that. Where like Gal Gadot knows that he, he's okay with stealing art or like stolen property or something like that. So that she, like, there's, there's already some background between the two of them. And then that way it kind of, that's how it encapsulates yes. all three of them together. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You've got to be able to tie those characters together early in the movie. You know, to be frank, I watched this movie about 12 hours ago, so it's a bit <laughs> well, of a I think we shot. both did because, yeah, we... <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't blame you, though, sir. I, I like where it's going in terms of... I definitely think, yeah, we needed way more development with the characters than... So that, you know, when we actually get to the, the Red Notice 2, Electric Boogaloo, um, <laughs> the, the, the yeah, heist... Yeah, I couldn't... I, I had to expect that they would set it up for a sequel, but... Even still, I was like, you really think this deserves a sequel? I mean, it's going to be up to Netflix. We don't know what those Netflix dollars are because they hide what their their streaming revenue is. Or their their viewership. So we shall see. Well, uh, what do you have for your chop shop this week? All righty. So I got family friendly. So as you can assume, the first thing I did was strip out the Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) Don't find a whole lot of family-friendly movies with Nazi references in it. So um, my primary kind of, I I think, uh, inspiration was Catch Me If You Can and a little bit of National Treasure. And I'm sure there's a little bit of some other stuff sprinkled in, but I'd say those were my primary focuses here. So um, I kind of did... Mine could easily be a sequel, and maybe I've spoiled some of it, but I, I it was written in the sense of a chop shop. So I, I might have I might have played a little bit in your territory of not actually writing a chop shop. I think it it's a, there's a Venn diagram. There's sequel and you know purest chop shop, and I'm somewhere in that middle where they overlap. But here we go. Enough, you know, uh, exposition. Let's get into it. 
The movie opens up with one of the eggs being stolen by the bishop, just immediately into some some nice action. Um, we start with her being the world-class thief, right? Uh, whole sequence, again, just to kind of get you in, enthralled into, into the movie. Um, and then after that, we're going to cut back into, you know, our, our, our main characters here. So Hartley is a notorious thief who's gone straight after making a deal with the FBI. Um, in a sense, it's one of these things like he's retired. He, he's paid our, you know, but they're, they're trying to bring him in for, for, you know, one last job, Travis, you always got that one last job. So at first he turns it because ultimately he was, you know, he got caught. This is where the kind of the catch me if you can comes into it. He got caught and then basically was offered a deal like, hey, if you kind of consult and come and work for the FBI to help us catch international like thieves and stuff like that, it will help reduce your sentence. You won't have to necessarily go to prison. You can make a little bit of a living. And, you know, we, we notice your talents. Um, we, we want you to work for the FBI. So he, you know, he, he winds up doing that because going to prison, uh, you know, that's that's not a fun thing. So. They come back, he's he's paid his debts, but now they've come back and they're asking him to do one more job. First, he turns it down because yeah, he's got a kid, you know? Another reason why he didn't want to go to prison when he got um, caught. Uh, he's got a kid now, and he can't go gallivanting across the world and all that. It, you know, as he's turning it down, um, you know, they, they give that last, that last little tidbit, and they're like, you'll actually be pursuing the bishop. At which point, he's like, the bishop? Like, the bishop. Like, how do you know it's, it's the bishop? And like, we know it's the bishop. We have surveillance. He goes, all right, this is the last time. So he agrees. So he tells his, his you know, we'll say teenage daughter that he, he's going to, she's got to go stay with grandpa and he's got to go on the road. So there's no weird dad issues in this one either. Now he's going to go, um, he's got to, she's going to stay with grandpa. He's got to stay, he's going to go find the bishop. Before he goes, he's going to give her a locket with a picture of her mother in it that he always carries around. And like basically tells, hold on to this and give it back to me when I come back, right? little simple thing so he packs up gets in a car starts driving as he's driving though he notices something in the background there's a sheet moving so he stops the car he gets out lo and behold pulls back the sheet and there's his teenage daughter she says you can't leave me behind you know so they have you know that you know classic exchange about how you know this is you know he we've got to stay together we're a family blah 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 this blah 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 that it could be dangerous. You have to listen to me the whole, uh, you know, whatever I say goes, okay, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he reluctantly says that she can come. So she asks where they're going, and he says, we're going to go, we're, we're going to need some help from Uncle Booth, right? So they arrive at a prison where Booth is being held for art crimes. Harley asks him to help, um, that they've got to catch the bishop. Booth wants absolutely nothing to do with this because the bishop is involved, Um and Harley and the Bishop and Harley are the reasons that he's in prison in the first place. So he was also offered the FBI deal, but turned it down. And that comes up like you were offered the same deal. I was, you turned it down, you know, the booths. I, I'm not going to be a square. I can't work for the man. So the two argue with Harley, um, and, uh, Hartley or the two argue and Hartley and his daughter leave as they're driving away from the prison. All of a sudden Booth sits up in the back seat, you know, Ryan Reynolds in his, his, you know, charismatic way and asks where they're going next. Right. So, you know, he's the escape artist. He winds up escaping fun little family thing where you'd think he's not going to be involved. And then of course winds up being there. General world capers adventure ensues, you know, again, we're not going to get into the details. I think pretty much everybody knows where that stuff goes. Um, and they, they show up at the location for the second egg and, uh, they just missed the bishop. 
they've been outwitted and outplayed. But while trying to get the egg, they also get into a tussle with a mysterious third party that also seems to be pursuing the eggs. So now we have actual villains in the movie, right? So after the fight, Hartley is concerned about the well-being of his daughter, and the two have a heartfelt talk about her mother, and you know, just how he has to protect her since she's not around and all that. All the while, while Booth is just looking at puzzlement, like, what the fuck, like, what, like, in awe about the conversation that's going on. So after the daughter goes to bed, Booth asks Hartley, you know, what was that all about? And he replies, what are you talking about? And Booth goes, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and a heart cut to the next scene. The two groups of thieves meet up at the third egg where Booth and Hartley like wind up getting into a fight with the bishop, who of course is unmasked, revealing that it is the daughter's mother. Um, so Bishop and Hartley, you know, are, Hart, or the, the daughter real, realizes that her mom is the bishop and she hasn't been around. You know, maybe this, the story, maybe a little bit of an Obi-Wan Kenobi type situation where it's like, mm, you didn't necessarily tell me the whole truth, dad. So right after the reveal, the mysterious third party shows up and both groups wind up having to flee together, right? The daughter and the bishop have a touching conversation and it's revealed that the reason that she didn't give up the two brothers, which I guess, by the way, Hartley and Booth are now brothers. I don't know if we're, we're going to have to fix the last names or something. Who knows? Maybe they're half brothers. But we find out that she wound up abandoning the brothers, um, and that's why they harbor such ill feelings. It wasn't like she ratted them out or anything like that, but basically like she just abandoned them. And basically what we find out is that Bishop was the contact for the job that they were on, that they got caught on, and to keep the two brothers safe, she never revealed their identities or that ultimately they were working with her. So she's been on the run for years because obviously she messed up a, a job and all that. And she said that ultimately, if she can get the three eggs together, she'll be able to deliver them and pay finally pay off her debt. And she won't be, you know, being chased. This is another w way that now it doesn't seem like she's, you know, uh, <laughs> the mother abandoned her child <laughs> and husband or lover type situation. Like there's a little bit more of a reasoning behind it. So we can get past that. Um but at the same time, while she's trying to get all three eggs, the, the employer is also has his his henchmen trying to get them. So that's why they wind up getting into all these fights, because for the employer, it's a win-win. He's going to get the three eggs no matter what. If he can get it before Gal, then she's still indebted to him, and he's still going to pursue her. So the four must now steal the third egg, knowing what its location is. They do everything they have to do. Obviously, everybody lives happily ever after. This is where I just kind of super condensed the end, because... You know, it's all kind of, we know what happens at the end of these. Um, Booth and the Bishop wind up getting the same deal that, that Hartley, is it Hartley? Yeah, Hartley wind up getting. Um, you know, Booth winds up realizing that maybe working for the man's not so bad if it's out of prison and he gets to be with his family. Um, so those two are now working with the FBI to pay off their debts with Interpol. And it allows us to have a sequel now where they're all, you know, all of them are together. But that's how I turned it into a family-friendly movie. I, I like it. Both of our chop shops made me wonder why can we not have some level of paced character development in these movies? Because the the movie we watched, Red Notice, pretty much all character is put into the first five minutes and thirty six seconds of the movie and then one additional quick scene in the prison one quick additional scene on the train everything else is just a quick fest and poorly shot cgi action 
don't get why you can write something in, you know, I say 12 hours because that's how long it's been since you watched the movie, but really you probably spent 20 minutes, 30 minutes on this, but I can feel a level of care about the characters that is not present in, I guess, the algorithm machine of what Netflix is putting out. Well, and I think it goes back to the whole idea of the commitment issue. It's like, the movie couldn't tell if it wanted to abandon kind of that, you know, we don't need to develop the characters. They don't need to be relatable. Like you could have just left it that all three of them were world-class crooks trying to get the the score. Almost like, I would say, almost like you could have done like a smoke and aces type thing where it was just all three of them were trying to get the egg and trying to outwit each other. And, you know, ultimately none of them wind up winning or they all wind up winning or however it winds up going. But like, Instead, they tried to almost shoehorn in like the weird dad thing because that was supposed to make them all relate to each other. But I'm like, they're already thieves. That's they already have something in common with one another. We don't need the daddy issues. And again, it was very lazily used in the movie where it's just like it's just kind of like these one little one off lines where it's like, okay, see now, see, they can all relate because they, you know, they're they had bad dads or something like that. Yeah, and I guess, again, that goes to the algorithm, like, hey, we can check another box if we include daddy issues because, hey, a good portion of the population has daddy issues, so why not? Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, again, at the end of the day, I just, it was a half-in, half-out situation, so. But with that said, I think normally we would go into Blue Book, I think, you know, this is one of the, the, the streaming generation type things. There's not a lot to it. Do you want to guess what the estimated budget for the movie was? Normally, I tell you what it is, and then you guess what it's grossed worldwide, but I don't think that's fair because, I mean, it opens select theaters. It's not going to make the money. This is Netflix just trying to get subscriptions and stuff like that. Do you do you want to take a wild guess as how much this movie cost? I might have accidentally walked into the budget. I've heard $150 million. Yeah, I, I have 160 million written down, which is kind of insane considering some of the other budgets we've looked at. That this movie cost 160 million dollars. Yeah, I, I have to assume that includes the salaries of the actors, right? Oh, I don't for know if sure. you looked that far into it. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, what I look at doesn't break it down that far. Um, but yeah, I it, I would absolutely have to. Like that would be crazy if it didn't. Yeah, because I, I go back to the Blair Witch Project. I, I remember a joke, you know, somebody saying that that movie costs like $50,000. And I can't remember the comedian who did it, but he was like, somebody's walking around with $48,000 in their pocket. That's what I feel about this movie. If this movie costs $150 million, there are some... Uh, Establishing shots where we fly over a jungle or a waterfall or Rome, whatever. But then once you see the the actors, it's clear that they're probably on a soundstage in Atlanta. So the budget baffles me. Absolutely. So with that, let's get in to some tag and title. Alrighty, Travis, I'm going to give you three taglines for Red Notice. One tagline is the actual tagline for the movie. 
One tagline is for a movie I found at Jason, and one tagline is one made by yours truly. What I would like you to do, Travis, is tell me what is the official tagline of Red Notice. Are you ready, sir? Yes, sir. Art for crime's sake. They're not bad guys, just bad thieves. Pro and cons. Uh, give me the first one again. Art for crime's sake. Uh, I think that's the title of the movie. Okay. Or the, the tagline of the movie. Do you, have any, do you want to try and place the other two or just leave it at that? I'm going to say the second one is adjacent, but I couldn't tell you the adjacent film, uh, which would leave the third one as to something you created. Okay. You got one of them right. So they're not bad guys, just bad thieves is the adjacent movie. It is 2009's The Maiden Heist. The what? The Maiden Heist. Starring... I've never heard of that. None other than Christopher Walken. Um, What is it? Oh, what was it? Morgan Freeman and uh, William H. Macy. <laughs> This is a real movie? Yeah, I believe it's it's not far off from the, the premise of not at the museum. It's three security guards at a, a art museum that fall in love with a painting and decide that they're going to steal the painting together so that, that they can admire it. Have you seen this movie? Yes, I have seen this movie. Is it good? I don't remember a damn thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, much like Red Notice then. Um, let's see here. I was gonna see what its uh its rating is versus Red Notice's rating is, just to give you some some perspective. I mean, it's got some some heavy hitters. So the IMDb rating rating for Red Notice is hovering at a six point six. The uh, the Maiden Heist is hovering at a six point one. So like, I don't know what that tells you. Probably not oh, much. The Red Notice will drop dramatically. I, I guarantee that. But it, it continue. So, art for crime's sake was mine, and pro and cons was the official tagline for this movie. <sighs> it also had three other taglines, but I assume it was for character posters, because it was some seek, some hide, some escape, which honestly doesn't make any sense. Like, some escape I could see on Ryan Reynolds, some seek i guess i would have at first i would have put it on the gal rock. gadot but yeah i guess that would have been the rock and then some hide would have been gal gadot's the bishop but she didn't do a whole lot of hiding and like i'm saying that one didn't make a whole lot of sense to me even as character posters because it doesn't really yeah maybe if hers was some evade or something like that i i don't know i i didn't think it was they were very good. Yeah, I mean, maybe by using the bishop as an alter ego and never revealing her name, that's her hiding. But yeah, that's a stretch. Yeah. So with that, uh, I'd love to hear some time capsule. Do you have a time capsule for us this uh, this week? Yeah, I do. It's, it's a very general conversation I want to have. <laughs> okay. Um, where will Hollywood be in 10 years from now when the, the machines take over? 
<laughs> I'm just curious. Would you prefer The Rock just go ahead and run for some sort of political office and stop making movies? Because I think about when we worked at the theater, that was about the time The Rundown came out, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Is that what you recall? Yes. And this movie made me think of that whenever he kept saying, you don't know what I'm capable of. It made me keep thinking of The Rundown where he didn't want to use guns. And then at the end, he's a total fucking badass. Yes. I, he started off with such promise, and if you would have asked me after walking out of the rundown, like, what do you envision Dwayne Johnson's career being in Hollywood? I would have said, it's not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger because it's a different time, but it would be close to that. And I'm stunned to think about the fact that I don't think I've seen a rock movie that I've liked more than The Rundown, which was almost 20 fucking years ago. I just can't think of a career more squandered than what his could have been in Hollywood. I don't know, because he's got some good stuff, and I'm not going to say... I mean, The Rundown... Does he? Yeah, I, I mean, I loved him in Jumanji. I thought I liked the Jumanji remake. I thought it it, it kept the spirit of... Because I was very hesitant because I loved Jumanji. But I thought it kept the spirit of the original while actually making it updated for modern audiences. I thought that that was a pretty good one. Um, To that point, I'm looking at other stuff he's done. I mean, he was good in The Fast and the Furious as Hobbes. Um, yeah, Hercules wasn't great. Pain and Gain. I don't... I never saw Pain and Gain. I I am the number one demographic for pain and gain, and he's good in it, but it's a terrible movie. Mm -hmm. Moana, the voice of Moana, he didn't do bad there. Obviously, that's animated, though. Baywatch, yeah, that's, that's I, I skipped Baywatch. Fruit. Rampage was just okay. I skipped Skyscraper, which was the director of this movie, also did Skyscraper. I saw Skyscraper. It fucking sucked. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what he does with Black Adam because he's super into that. I am a little concerned. It looks now that he's been announced for, for Big Trouble in Little China, which that's another classic movie I'd love to, like, uh, Kurt Russell that I think we should review sometime soon. I love Big Trouble in Little, Little China. I am concerned with what that remake's going to look like. I mean, they're making a San Andreas 2, which isn't like... Yeah, it's... I don't know... You want to talk about algorithm algorithmic? I think that's the word. Um, I don't know algorithm algorithmic. When he's looking, I just look at what the kinds of movies he does. He's definitely like falling into a certain category, and I don't know if if he's got like a financial advisor that's looking at it like, listen, this is the kind of movie minimal effort, maximum payout, or something like that. But you, to your point, like, I mean, one point The Rock was called like, you know, he was the one you brought in to save a franchise. And like at this point, it's it's he is I think he's starting to lose some credibility. I just think he makes the safest possible choice at all times because. I mean, we've talked about Apple, we've talked about Porsche, we've talked about, you know, all the product placement in this movie, but the biggest product placement is the rock ink mm -hmm. like he's so concerned about being a brand that he has stopped actually making movies in my opinion and that's it's such a bummer because again 
almost 20 years ago when we both saw the rundown, we were like, hey, there's a lot of potential here. This could be a big-time star, and I think he could have been, but it's been a deliberate choice to make sure that he's profitable rather than you know, quote unquote, good artist. So I'd be, like I said, I'm, I'm holding out to see what happens with black Adam because he's super like, that's a passion project for him. So you will be able to grade the rock a hundred percent on black Adam, like how, how much he wanted to do that movie and it's been involved with that movie. So if it's tremendous, how much credit he gets for that. And if it's a colossal flop and failure, how much like that, that's his level of involvement. I think the rock falls into the Rock is much better as a, I think, a supporting actor or supporting character than he is as a protagonist or main. And I realize we're saying that we're talking about the rundown and we love that. But even since then, like most of the things I look at where I think about The Rock, it's like he's not the guy. I almost it's funny to say The Rock is almost like the Hulk. Like the Hulk is great when you put him and you pair him with like a Thor or the Avengers. But when you make him the center stage, it's it's hard to make a good hulk movie right and i think it's hard to make a good rock movie and that might be very much because he is so concerned about his brand and making sure that it is like he is making that same safe bet so that he doesn't damage or you know have any negative pr against him yeah i like you mentioned earlier in the podcast his performance once he's actually quote unquote the bad guy turned heel yeah I wanted that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's no surprise that if anybody watched wrestling, he was a better heel than he was a face. It doesn't seem like he's willing to play a heel in Hollywood, which I think is what his resume is missing. I mean, there's always been Arnold comparisons with him, but Arnold got famous off of being one of the greatest heels in movie history. Mm-hmm. And The Rock, I guess, got that out of his system when he was in wrestling. He doesn't want to do it as an actor, but I think he's doing a disservice to his career and certainly my fucking enjoyment. Well, I mean, it goes back to, again, his brand. Like, he is a very pro-people, like, very charismatic. And, like, I don't know if someone's told him, like, if you start playing heels in Hollywood, that means that that's how people will start to perceive you. Again, (laughs) to bring it back to probably the best quote in the movie, like it doesn't matter what you did, only what people think you did. And if people start only seeing you as a bad guy in movies is the perception that you are a bad guy or something like that, you know? So it, it would be very interesting because yeah, looking at, at his, his filmography, it is. Well, let's, let's lock it in, Brett. Mm -hmm. We're doing black Adam on this podcast. Absolutely. And we will be the judge, jury, executioner on the rock's career. Uh, I'll, I'll agree because what will be funny is Black Adam is kind of started as a villain is kind of an anti-hero right now in terms of comic book lore and all that. So it'll be interesting to see if what he does with that character, because it is very much like that is a darker character that would be I would classify more as a heel than a face. So we'll see when he gets to be full heel or go into that mode. Is it like, OK, baby, we're back to classic, you know, classic Dwayne the Rock Johnson here. Let's get back into it. Yeah, I look forward to that. When do you know when that releases? Twenty twenty two, so it'll be sometime next year. All right. Yeah, it's in post production well, right now. I know it. It wrapped. I think about a month ago. I think that's going to be our uh, most planned in advance podcast <laughs> in the history of the Chop Shop. Probably. So, 
Alrighty. Well, let's go ahead and do our final final opinions here. Uh, my my hot take on it is that there's a thousand better movies out there. I didn't finish this movie and say, fuck, I wasted my time. Like, I can't believe I watched that. And I have done that with some of our movies. I just, there's so much wasted potential in this movie. And again, I think it comes down to a lot of the heavy lifting is is Ryan Reynolds and, and Gal Gadot. And then The Rock is a little bit here and there. But like, they allow you, like, you get through the movie because of them. But this is by no means a good movie. So if you're looking at it from a cinematic point of view, like, you're not going to get anything, like, objectively out of this movie it is you're basically watching it because you know you're in a little bit of a ryan reynolds uh what is it dry spot and yeah drought there's the word i was looking for else of that I, I don't know if this movie is really worth watching again i got i did get a few laugh out loud moments that i appreciated but again at the end of the day i just just squandered potential yeah i'll keep it brief i pretty much agree 100 percent um, Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds it's almost like if you're studying for a test or you've got a big day ahead of you and you drink a bunch of Red Bull like it kind of gets you through it you can study you can prepare but that's all the movie has is hey let's get some more Ryan Reynolds one liners let's get some Gal Gadot charm the Rock at times provides a rock level performance. Well, yeah, but I, by the end of the movie, I'm just like, please be over because I'm getting that caffeine crash. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so I enjoyed the leads. They did what they were supposed to do, which was be charming. But I, I was ready to go to bed after the movie. Yes. I uh because it was it was fatiguing. It's funny you you were you were you were kind of dancing around it, but The Rock was essentially the rock of this movie. Like he was the foundation, he was the straight man to allow the two more charismatic people to kind of exchange over. And the problem is, is like he got to open up at the end of the movie. I'm like, you should like there was no reason to do the twist at the end. This movie would have been way more fun if it was just the three of them. Like, if it had been, we had known all three of them were criminals trying to get it, and then at the end, we still had the twisted low, oh, actually, it was really just two groups of criminals, because The Rock has actually been with Gal Gadot the whole time. He's the other bishop. It's like, there's two bishops. I'm like, there's technically four, you fucking assholes, but whatever. (laughs) If that's the... I thought the whole thing with the bishop was going to be that, oh, get it, because The Rock and Ryan Reynolds are the king and the queen, because that's kind of the, the, like, the ranking of pieces i'm like oh that's what it's gonna be like oh no there's two bishops and i'm like no yeah here's my other problem with the whole bishop twist at the end where it's like ryan reynolds somehow was close enough with the bishop for them to be rivals for her to know where he lived to give her a way to give him a way to interpol and to the rock and for him to call her and say i know where the egg is gloating but they weren't close enough for him to know that there were fucking two of them working together Right? Like, I didn't understand that whatsoever. <laughs> How did that happen in this universe? And then, to me, I, that's their that's their whole thing, is that there's two of them, and no, but nobody ever knew that there were two pieces to the bishop. But then they reveal that, and they leave Ryan Reynolds alive for him to go and find him. And I'm like, and he finds them easy after he realizes there's two of them. Like, again, there's the logic in this movie is so fucking all over the place and doesn't make any sense whatsoever when you go, when you think about it at all. 
Well, speaking of finding people, I love when Gal Gadot is able to track Reynolds and The Rock from uh, Spain to Argentina, no problem. And then you find out in the bunker scene that Interpol has followed Gal Gadot. And they literally dropped the line, like, how did she know where you were? And, and Gal Gadot's basically like, I followed you. She must have followed me. I'm like, you act like I'm, I'm, I'm following somebody through a grocery store. You're literally globetrotting, and this is three separate groups of people tracking each other? Not, not only that. Not only that, Travis, this is after they've been roaming the jungle for three days and they didn't realize yes. that Gal was behind, the bishop was behind them, and then she didn't realize that a team, a team of Interpol <laughs> agents was three minutes behind her. Like, <laughs> I'm like, again, makes no sense. You would hear them in the bushes behind you. Like, they were that close to you by the timing of how they ran in there. <laughs> I, I wanted to go back and watch the movie and just count how many times, you know, characters just show up in a room with like dialogue like, oh, you know, surprise, I found you. That is used over and over again and hilariously by the end of the movie. Because, yeah, like you said, we're in the middle of a jungle in Argentina and there's like a tactical team of 20 following – and again, that, an art thief following a pair of uh, art thieves. And that goes back to why I really thought that Dawes was going to wind up being the, <laughs> the, the mole or something. I'm like, oh, it would make sense that Dawes like would be able to sneak up on him because she knew the whole time she was in on the whole thing. I'm like, no, that's not the case. It's just it, it makes no sense as to why she was able to be there. This is a great example to me of like there's an old I guess like high school or like um, college like uh, writing um, what is it exercise where basically someone starts writing the story and then you pass it off to the next person you pass it off yes. to the next person and then at the end you see what the whole story is this movie feels so much like that to me where it's like you were given the overarching synopsis of what happened and what the characters are and then people just traded off writing their bit of the story and it, that's why none of like it loosely connects because you were given the overarching synopsis but then after that none of it connects or makes any sense because everyone just got their their scene that they got to write you know i mean we're running long but i didn't we didn't even get into the fact that you're starting up 80-year-old cars that have been in a bunker underground, and they're just like, just rolled out of the showroom. Mm -hmm. Well, you crank them, though. See, that's the it was a crank car. If it, if it had been something else, I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't have worked, but that crank, man, that's it gets it all fired up, you know? I, I'm not a, despite working at the Hollywood Chop Shop, I'm not an auto enthusiast. <laughs> I still don't think that would work. No, no, not at not at all. That that would not have have worked that way. So, uh, yeah. I, again, overall, it's I didn't. I'll say I didn't regret watching the movie. Again, I didn't leave it saying "fuck." I cannot like so bad, so bad. I can't believe I watched the whole thing. 
but it's definitely one of those like i won't go back and and watch it like it, the only reason somebody would watch that movie is is to watch the three people those three actors interact with one another and i'm like and if that's the case i'm like we just need a better movie with those three actors so that we can forget this one ever existed yeah i guess at the end of the day i'd still rather watch tango and cash or any of the fast and furious movies Yeah, no, 100%. So, all righty. Well, with that, we'll wrap up our uh, our Art Crimes trilogy here. Uh, we hope you'll come back and listen to the wrap. It'll be posted a, a few days later. And then um, I think it was was the next one, Father of the Year, or something like that? I uh, yeah, centered around uh, King Richard with uh, Will Smith coming out soon. So uh, we look forward to having you all back soon. And uh, yeah. Bye. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. In an un oh, in an unlikely. Oh boy, we've already started this one off great. I, I love the one me. syllable and just like fuck it, I give up. <laughs> Just gonna take a quick swig of my Zoa uh, energy drink here. <laughs> uh, we have an official deal with Pepsi One. Okay, you can't say that. Oh, trust me. At some point, it might be the end of the show, but I'm definitely gonna bring up the shameless product placement in this movie. Oh, uh, I've got some words about that. <laughs>